0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org.
1: All right, I've got a question. How many of you have ever had to forgive someone in your life before? Let's see a a show of hands. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah, not surprising. Okay. Uh, Now, how many of you have ever had to have, uh, as someone has asked you, to forgive them? Same show of hands. Okay. I think that covers all of us. There we go, right? Forgiveness is a key, essential, important part of life. It's Forgiveness, it really kind of holds things together when it comes to our relationships with one another. It's woven into the fabric of how we respond to and relate and interact with each other. And yet, you know this as well, in our life, there are times when our capacity or our ability to forgive other people might seem to be limited. I'm sure there have been times in your life where you just didn't feel like forgiving someone for something they did or said to you or about you, and that's just being honest. And I bet there are also times and things that have happened in your life where you kind of question, like, is that even forgivable, what you did or said to me? And when I say that word unforgivable, all of us can have in our minds a list of things that might make that list. And I I wonder, that that might get heavy really fast. And so uh, I figured we'd focus on some lesser known unforgivable things that could happen to you, such as when someone's walking their dog and they don't clean up the dog's special delivery that they left in your yard? Like, is that really forgivable? I don't know, right? Or worse yet, somebody who wears the color white after Labor Day. Whew. Ooh, I guess that's a big deal, right? Or how about someone who spoils the end of a movie or ruins the plot line of a book before you get a chance to see it or read it? And you're, some of you are thinking, there is just no mercy for that person. No way. This one, however, might take uh, the cake. I don't know which uh, scenario is more unforgivable, but uh, when someone takes over a group chat and they begin to have a one-on-one conversation with some other person within the group chat and it has nothing to do with anyone else, seriously. Or, worse yet, you've uh, accomplished this great thing in a group chat and, and, and you think it's over and all of a sudden you hear the incessant beep or bzzz. And you look, and it's someone that just decided to give one final thumbs up emoji or LOL comments. Like, really? Was that necessary? And some of you know who you are, right? <laughs> Don't do that, right? It's so unnecessary. Okay, sorry, I, I digress. If you had to narrow down the message of the Bible or the teachings of Jesus into specific topics, I guarantee you, you could not go very far until you came to the topic of forgiveness. Jesus talks about it all the time. Forgiveness is one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith, and it's one of the essential character qualities and attributes of the God of the Bible. He is forgiving. It's who he is. It's what he does. But I'll bet there have been times where you've wondered, I wonder if God ever has limits on his forgiveness. I wonder if there's times where God just simply does not feel like forgiving someone for what they've done or said, so he just doesn't because he can Or maybe there's a capacity to his mercy, or there's a ceiling to his kindness that he shows to us. I wonder if that would be the case. Or perhaps you've wondered, maybe there's simply, there there are just things that to God are just unforgivable. He won't forgive that particular thing, whatever that is. Is there such a thing as the unforgivable sin? And if so, what is it? Because I think I'd like to know what that is, as maybe you would too. If you've been with us over the the past year, you know we've just wrapped up a a journey through the Gospel of Mark where we took a deep dive into the life and ministry of Jesus. And one of the things that drew people to Jesus that made him so irresistible was his teaching, the way that he communicated. Crowds were just drawn to his words. He spoke with authority and he opened up God's word in ways that were new and freeing and, and sometimes a little spicy. There were times where people did not know what to think or make of some of the things that Jesus was saying. And so over the next six weeks here at Triumph, we're going to be revisiting some of these difficult teachings that we see in Mark's gospel as we look back at what the king said about these specific topics in Mark's gospel. And I want to set it up this way as before we enter into our first one here, that as we walk through these six weeks, I think it would be really important and downright essential for us to remember that this is what God's word has to say about these topics. Therefore, they are his words and not mine. So for anyone that's standing up here talking about any of these things, these are not our thoughts or my thoughts or my opinions on the matter. They're God's, And and I don't say that to just kind of pass the buck and get out of controversy, although maybe there's a little bit of that too, right? But I think it's important for us and it's essential that God's word sometimes pushes into our lives in ways that might make us a little uncomfortable or put us on edge. of like, what's he talking about here? This is, I don't know how I feel about this. But it's within that discomfort and within that challenge that we're invited to see his grace and to trust him in the things that we fully can't always comprehend or understand, And so today will be no different as we revisit and look at what has become known as the unforgivable sin. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 22, and, and I know for, uh, especially Christians when we hear that term, unforgivable sin, there's so many things that would like to be put on the list of what those are, uh, probably not for always the best or right reason. So we're going to just see what Jesus has to say in the matter and let him define it for us. So Mark chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 22, read through verse 30. If you're following along in your mark books, we're going to be on page 20. We're going backwards a little bit. Okay? Starting Starting verse 22 of Mark chapter 3 reads like this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, "He is he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons and he called them to him and said to them in parables." All sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so the setup of this scene especially as we've journeyed through the gospel of Mark, should really come as no surprise. This is kind of a familiar territory sort of thing when it comes to Jesus' teaching. We see him teaching, we see him healing people, performing miracles, and specifically casting out demons. And as Jesus traveled around and healed people and did these things, word about him began to spread very quickly, alerting eventually some of the religious leaders from Jerusalem, Some of these scribes. And and so, in order for them to kind of figure out what was going on, to investigate and see things for themselves, we're told that this group of scribes came down to kind of check things out. But their intent in doing so was not one of open curiosity or at all to be influenced by Jesus. They came with a specific agenda. They came with this preset, preconceived notion and assumption when it came to Jesus. And you probably caught what it was as we read. They were literally convinced that Jesus was doing the work of the devil himself. They were beyond confident that the work that Jesus was doing, the healings and the teachings and the miracles were as evil and rotten to the core as Satan himself. And, and that accusation really doesn't even make sense. I mean, if you think just logically or within simple reasoning, it does not even stack on itself. And Jesus responds to this misguided attack. He confronts them and he asks the question, like, how does that even make sense? How is it, you figure, that Satan can work against himself? And even if he is, like, is that even a good strategy? No. If a kingdom is divided against itself, it's going to fall. If both sides of the house, of the same house, are working against one another, then the entire structure is going to come crashing down. It just doesn't work. But then we also hear Jesus respond to their accusation with a warning, and it's kind of a really sobering warning to them and to anyone else who kind of aligns with this way of thinking that these scribes held. It was a warning to how dangerously close they were to crossing a really serious line revisit verse 28 and 29 Jesus tells them he says truly I say to you all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin so there it is we see it that this unforgivable sin or as Mark calls it this eternal sin The kind of sin that never has forgiveness. And so for anyone who cares about being right with God or having their sins forgiven, a really important question to ask is, okay, so how do I avoid doing this? How do I avoid committing this kind of sin? Or or even how would I or how do I blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Now, uh, the short, simple answer to this is that if you're someone who is concerned or worried that you have committed the unforgivable sin... Rest assured, I can pretty much guarantee that you have not, actually, just by the fact that you're worried about it, right? So we're done, there we go. No, not quite, okay? And we'll see why that is in just a moment, okay? But the fact that you're worried and concerned about it, I've had someone ask me, they're like, I think I've done this. It's like, um, the fact that you're really worried about it tells me that you, in fact, have not. And we'll see why that is in a moment. Let's take a look at, uh, at how this understanding fits within the context of Mark 3, Right before this confrontation with the scribes and religious leaders, Jesus and his disciples were arriving back in their hometown. And this is what we read in verses 20 and 21. Read, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, that's Jesus, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay. So it's interesting to note that there were even members of Jesus' family who didn't know what to do with Jesus. They were just as confused and off-put as, as some of the others were. They didn't know what to make of all the attention that he was receiving and the words that he was saying. And so we see them actually try to subvert and silence Jesus by removing him from the crowds and kind of justifying his behavior. You can hear them, oh, Jesus, yeah, it's, it, 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 don't worry about him, pay no attention to him, he's just a little out of his mind. Or you can hear them say this. Now compare that response that Jesus' family gave him so the one that the religious leaders gave, and we see these guys took it to a whole nother level. They weren't just suggesting that people should not listen to Jesus. And they weren't just insinuating that he might be a little crazy. No, they went so far as to say that he was possessed by the devil. That his power and his ability to do these amazing things was somehow connected to demonic authority. In fact, they went so far in this talk that Mark writes in verse 30 that they were telling everyone that Jesus had an unclean spirit of his own to deal with. So that that brings us back to another question that's tied into how do I blaspheme? Well, what does the word blaspheme even mean? That's not in my everyday regular vocabulary. probably isn't in yours either. But to blaspheme someone means to slander or defame them. So it's to misrepresent someone or to say outrageous things against another person. And oftentimes it's a charge or an accusation that's directly related to God. And so it's misrepresenting or slandering or speaking against God. So let's take into account how Jesus specifically addresses and responds to both kinds of blasphemy that we see in this text. One from his family and the other from the scribes. And so first, Jesus' family Now, this is fitting. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, as we've journeyed through this book, we have seen example after example after example of people failing to recognize who Jesus is. And oftentimes, the people who have the hardest time figuring out who he is are the people that we think should know who he is. So, example, the disciples. They're clueless throughout the entire book. They just don't get it. But yet, we would expect them to because they're traveling with Jesus. They've seen and heard all these amazing things. And it's the people on the outside, the people that we would think are the longest shot to understand and recognize Jesus. They're the ones who understand. And so we see this same point show up again with members of Jesus' family. They had come to the wrong conclusions about who Jesus was. Now it's not to excuse judgment against them, right? I mean, suggesting that Jesus was out of his mind is still an offensive and demeaning and outrageous thing to say about Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God. You just wouldn't say that about him. And yet, their incorrect understanding about Jesus is based on their own ignorance and their own misunderstanding. They just don't get it. Now, compare that kind of blasphemy or slandering against what we see from the scribes, and I hope you'll see a difference. These religious leaders, they held this incredibly deep-seated, hard-heartedness that completely clouded their vision and closed their ears to the point where they were willingly and persistently rejecting what they saw and heard from Jesus as true. These scribes embody this somber warning that the prophet Isaiah gives us in the Old Testament when he he writes in, in verse 20. He says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light, and light is dark, that bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. That's what these guys were doing. Not only did they openly and rigorously reject Jesus, but they count the very work that he's doing as a work of Satan. They see something that is good, and wholesome, and healthy, and they consider it something to be opposed and destroyed. So hopefully you can see the difference there between the two. So this gives us some clarity now on this issue with this kind of sin because the reality is that there are people that can become so hardened in their hearts, they can reject Jesus to the point where they wrongly attribute the work that he is doing, the work that the Spirit is doing through him, to the work of the devil. And this is more than just a one-time thing. This is something that is intentional and persistent. It's to overtly go against and become absolutely numb to the work that God is trying to do. And it's something that just closes him off entirely. It's a utmost rejection and resistance that is born in unbelief so that the person who's doing this kind of sin is totally unresponsive to their need for repentance or forgiveness. In fact, when we hear Jesus say directly to these religious leaders that this is a sin that never has forgiveness, it's not so much as God is not going to forgive them, it's the fact that the sinner totally rejects their need for forgiveness. He says, I don't, I don't even want it. That's not for me. Now, perhaps you've been sitting through the last couple minutes and you're kind of like, you know, interesting. Good to know. I, that was maybe something new. But as I think about myself, like I, I mean, this whole unforgivable sin thing doesn't really apply to me. I mean, I, I, I've never been in a place where I've even come close to doing this, and I can probably assume I never will. Therefore, this isn't even a blip on my sin radar, and that—that'd be great. That's good. That's wonderful. And even though some of you may never have and, and never will commit this kind of sin, I think the sober. Reality of Jesus warning to us should get our attention all of us and remind us of just how Jesus views and God views all sin and the seriousness of it in our lives. Because here's the truth of the matter. All sin is a big deal to God. All sin is an offense and an attack on him. In fact, if he wanted to, God could classify any sin as unforgivable and he would be entirely justified in doing so. God is not neutral when it comes to sin. He either forgives it or he punishes it. There's no middle ground there. And so we need to recognize that Jesus is not just calling out this one particular sin and excusing all the others as not a big deal. And at the same time, we recognize ourselves in our humanity that there are times where we can be zeroing in on our own failures or our own brokenness. And there comes a point where we become so discouraged and feel so hopeless that we also fail to see the mercy and grace of Jesus waiting to receive sinners today is a perfect example of this. I mean when we read this passage, what was probably the first thing that you zeroed in on when we read verses 22 through 30? Probably the part that talked about this eternal sin that never has forgiveness. Like that just occupied your mind space. And we totally missed and skipped over probably the most important thing that Jesus said right before this in Mark 3. Let's revisit verse 28. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. So how incredible is that? that? That in his kindness and mercy that there is no sin that God cannot and will not forgive. And in fact, in his grace, all sin can be forgiven. And that's a mystery to us. right? And in fact, for some of you, you're like, that just is downright unfair. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. But in his power, God is somehow able to redeem anything and anyone, even people who abuse group texts. It works. He can do it. And so when we are confronted by our sin, when we feel the weight of sin bringing us to a place where we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, he is always there to receive our ask for forgiveness, and he will never turn us away. In fact, there is not a single example in the entire Bible where God denied forgiveness to someone who asked him for it. And in fact, to go even further, God can take those things that were a part of our biggest failures and he can transform them into something that showcases his grace in our lives to other people. And we get a really powerful example of that all throughout the New Testament from a guy named Paul. Paul was in fact one of these religious leaders, not in the same group that confronted Jesus, but he, that was his life. Paul was so against Jesus that he spent years trying to hunt down Christians and destroy the church. And so if anyone was at risk of dealing with a sin that was unforgivable, uh, Paul would be example A. And yet, one day as he was on his way to a city in, called Damascus, Jesus met Paul on the road and he completely transformed his life. Paul went from someone who outrightly opposed all things Jesus to being a pillar in the church. He went on to write nearly half of the New Testament books and, and traveled all around the world telling people about Jesus. And so Paul's own words describe this kind of life-changing transformation in grace that Jesus gives to him. In, as, he, as he writes in 1 Timothy 1, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's a pretty remarkable transformation. And really, you or I could insert our name in there of the God-saved sinners of whom I, Ben, am the worst. And yet, God can redeem and restore and transform That's the work of grace that only God can do. And it's the grace that he does and and is doing in your life and in mine as we're receptive and open to the work of his spirit within us. As we close our time this morning, I want to bring us to one more place where one of Jesus' followers, one of the guys that got to travel and journey along with Jesus, writes about this same reality in one of his letters to the early church about this need to be honest with ourselves when it comes to our sin and, and also God's gracious ability If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? Well, it means that God's grace and mercy has infiltrated your world in such a way that even the worst of sin and sinners can be forgiven. It means that God's acceptance of you is not based on your ability to perform perfectly or to get it right all the time. No, it's based entirely on what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. It means that God can redeem your struggles and your failures as you bring them to him. And it means that God is able to forgive you of all and any of your sins, even that sin, whatever that sin is for you. So I love this definition of the gospel that author and pastor Tim Keller says. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And That's why it's called good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this good news that you delivered to us the reality of your grace and mercy that shows up in some profound ways in our life. And one of those ways is how you choose to forgive sinners like us. In the variety and numerous ways that we fail you, that we go against what you say is right and good for us, the ways we hurt other people through our sin. And yet in your kindness and mercy and compassion to us, you've done something about our sin. You've provided a way for it to be forgiven. You've provided a way for us to be free, to live new lives that reflect your grace in our lives. And so what an amazing reminder that even your work within us as you refine and restore and renew us, that's evident to the people around us. And as they wonder and ask and and confer, may, may your work in us be a reflection of your kindness and goodness that they can experience and share too. So we thank you for your gift of forgiveness through your son. May it continue to be how... We are defined and looked at as we look at ourselves and this world around us, as we live out a life of gratitude for what you've given to us. In your name I pray, amen.
0: Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or, or streaming this content today. We try and pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you and it'll it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org slash connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org slash events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, We hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again and may the Lord bless you.